and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, part of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard on Chorus Radio each week. It's a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. So last week, Jasper National Park tweeted out something about reintroducing a notice of restriction when it comes to wildlife viewing practices, meaning that you must stay in your vehicle when viewing wildlife from the road. And that got me thinking it might be a good idea to review Parks Canada's tips about respecting wildlife and replay the interview we did back in August with Parks Canada. So we'll do that a bit later in the podcast. Plus, we'll head to the island of Bermuda to learn about the Rosewood Bermuda, a beautiful resort right on the waterfront. So if you're dreaming about laying on a beach somewhere, this is a resort for you. But to start our podcast this week, we're going to talk about Booking.com's recent back-to-travel survey on what Canadians are thinking when it comes to their travel plans this summer. Maybe it is laying on a beach somewhere. So joining us now to sort through the findings is Adriana Mantia, Regional Manager for Canada at Booking.com. Hi, Adriana. Hi, Randy. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm excited to hear a little bit about this Back to Travel survey. I like the name of it, Back to Travel, because I think we would all (laughs) kind of like to get back to traveling. Uh, Tell me a little bit about the survey and some of the general findings uh, that uh, that you got from it. Was anything surprising? I think more than surprising, I think it confirms us that there's a big appetite for people to go back to travel. Uh, people have realized how much travel is important for their mental health. And uh, that even though safety is the first thing that we need to really figure out, the appetite is telling us and 72% of Canadian travelers are most hopeful about traveling in 2021. And also a big uh, correlation with that, with the viral vaccinations increase that we hope are are coming even faster. Well, yeah, if, uh, all you have to do is just take something away from someone before long, they want it back really quick. And that seems to be the case with traveling. And you mentioned vaccines. I think vaccines play a big, a big role in this, right? Yes, uh, the appetite for travel. We have been seeing that uh, people are really uh, thinking about uh, 72% of the Canadians are seeing as, uh, the vaccine as one of the big parts. And even with the vaccine, um, we are seeing that people just uh, need to have the vaccine in order to travel abroad. So even traveling abroad or traveling dom- domestic, it's going to be a huge correlation of how much the industry recovers. Yeah, and I think it's you can't travel without a vaccine, but people don't seem to want to go unless they've been vaccinated, right? They want to make sure that they're protected and they want to make sure that they're protecting others. Exactly. And uh, I think that's why one of the compromises that I, we've been seeing from the industry is the part of vaccination, but also the part of safety first. And one of the things that I think was super interesting is that we already know that 70% of properties that are booking have been increasing health and safety. So even though vaccination is quite important, and uh, that would be like one of the, the main drivers, also they have been trying to say uh, to be agreeing with masks, also to be able to, in our side, we're filtering the part of, uh, of health and safety. And every time the clicking of the customers there is more important than ever. Well, and I think, yeah, by now we're uh, over a year into this pandemic. I think most people are pretty much used to, you know, having to wear a mask if they're going to a, a restaurant or to anywhere on, on transportation, that sort of thing. Um, and I think the, uh, the accommodation industry, the hotel industry, has done a really good job overall in making sure, like, they were, it seems to me that they were one of the first ones to come out with uh, the high standards for cleaning, making sure that, you know, that they're 
um, their occupancy rate wasn't too full, those types of things. And they've been doing this for over a year now. So I think they've done an excellent job with that, uh, almost leading the world in, in how to do things. No, totally agree. And I think that one of the things is all the things that they have been able to adapt. And also one of the things that we are seeing, and it's vital, and I also see the properties adapting all over Canada, is flexing the cancellation policies. So they're doing a great job of understanding how they need to have a cancellation policy. And also one of the things that has been also very good is how they are communicating to the guests uh, to have for them to have more information and also to be very compliant with the regulations of, uh, of the places that uh, they are located on. And your survey reflects that too, right? With the accommodation providers, um, they're seeing uh, an increased uh, interest in travel for uh, this year and beyond this year as well, right? Exactly. One of the things that has been super interesting is that the search uh, for summer is amazing. We see a July and an August very high on searches. And even we're seeing that people are also considering September as a very big, uh, big month. Do, we ha- do you have any numbers on how far people are booking out? Like, are they looking into 2022, or is this sort of just for this year, this summer? And are they looking domestically, or are they looking beyond uh, Canada's borders? A great question. The first thing that we're seeing is that uh, we see uh, in searches a lot of peak for these three months, but we are also seeing already people thinking about the ski season of 2022. So this is also something that is happening. When we go to trends, we see a lot of nature, uh, places that are, uh, that are located in nature, nature-wise. And uh, we're still seeing a lot of domestic and local traveling and a lot of appetite. We're seeing like 67% of people are saying, I'm going to stay in Canada. I'm still going to discover it. Uh, and I don't see that changing in the near, in the near future. And it seems to me, looking just looking briefly at the numbers too, that uh, the kind of um, holiday people are looking for, they want to hit the beach or outdoors, like you say, not so much uh, visiting uh, cities. Yes, you are, you're right on the spot. We're only seeing 4% of people wanting to go to the, to the cities and uh, 51% with a lot of hope that they can uh, hit the beach. And one of the things that I was reading, Randy, is that we almost have 1 million of lakes in Canada. So imagine how many lake beaches we have and a lot of nature to discover. So uh, <laughs> that, that appetite for that is there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, every time I think of beach, I think of the ocean. I always forget about the lakes, and we do have a lot of uh, beautiful lakes in this country. Anything I've missed you want to add? No, well, I think that uh, there are amazing destinations that people want to discover, and uh, the searches are amazing for Kelowna, Jasper, Osorio, Blue Mountains, Banff, uh, Muskoka, and uh, Quebec City, and just thinking about it, it's uh, making, us, making us dream of where we want to go next. Adriana Mantia is a regional manager of Canada for Booking.com. You can find their survey, Back to Travel survey, on the Booking.com website. Uh, always fun to chat with you, Adriana. Thank you. Thanks to you, Randy. Very happy to be here always. Well, if one of your dream vacations is to visit the island of Bermuda, there's a beachfront property just waiting for you to arrive. It's the Rosewood Bermuda, and here now to tell us more about the Rosewood Bermuda and visiting Bermuda in general is Eva Chan. She is the Director of Sales and Marketing at the Rosewood Bermuda. The website is rosewoodhotels.com. Hi, Eva. 
Hi, Randy. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. I'm kind of wishing that I, you know, be in Bermuda right now, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I think a, a few of us love that opportunity. Yeah, we're all kind of wishing that we're all in a tropical getaway at this point. I think a lot of people are itching to get out of their homes eventually, right? <laughs> well, for sure. Uh, tell me a little bit about the Rosewood brand, though, to begin, and the story of the Rosewood Bermuda. Sure. Um, Rosewood Hotel is a small company. It's a it's a up and growing company. We have 27 hotels in the collection currently. We have a lot in the pipeline that's about to open in beautiful destinations from the Caribbean to Europe to Asia. So we're super thrilled for that to happen in the next two to three years. Um, each hotel is very unique. It really has its sense of place, which is what the model of the company is, um, even though it is part of the Rosewood brand, each hotel really reflects its own des- uh, reflective of the destination. So for Rosa Bermuda, it's a perfect property for the destination. Um, the property sits on 240 acres of uh, waterfront property, which includes 91 guest rooms, um, a golf course, a beach club, tennis facility, a spa and four pools. So for anyone that's looking to do something really unique in Bermuda and want to stay at Rosewood, we are the perfect property for it. (laughs) You had me at uh, beachfront and four pools, I think. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, you know, if you don't like the beach and you want to just be more of a pool person, we have that for you and vice versa. Um, Food and beverage is also a a unique uh, feature as well. We have three restaurants, um, and also three bars. So, and there's a lot to do off property as well. Um, you know, what our, the island itself is only about 21 square miles with about 65,000 people on the island. Um, even though we are a tiny island, there is a lot to do off property. Um, one of the unique features is really it's the sailing, the fishing, the water sports. And one unique thing that people really don't know about Bermuda is that there's a lot of underwater caves that are located um, throughout the island. And in fact, there's one at the Rosa Bermuda um, and that you can go actually cave diving for anyone that's looking to do something really unique and really something that's more about Bermuda. And if you're adventurous, you can go with a guide um, and leave from our property and go cave diving and come out onto the other side of the island. So that's something unique that you you might want to try out if you're ever wanting to come to Bermuda. Wow, that is uh, different and unique. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tell me about Bermuda itself, what life has been like in the past year. I noticed on your website, uh, at the top of it says the Rosewood Bermuda is open now. So that's good news. Yeah, I mean, during the pandemic, when it first hit last year, we we did close the hotel for about three months uh, from April until June, which is basically Q2. And then as things got a little bit better and uh, Bermuda really did a great job in in managing um, the COVID situation last year. And so we were one of the few islands um, that were able to open earlier. And so the hotel did open in July, um, which is our peak season. Um, Our seasonality is very distinctive. So we, we opened in July and when we first reopened, the airlines were still closed, so they didn't really have the flights in place to really accept international guests to come in. But we did 
we're able to accept our local guests. So there, there's a lot of um, local residences that um, wanted to get out of the house. And so we were able to open the hotel and accept local residences to come and stay with us. So it was more like a staycation. Yeah. So July, yeah, so it was good to, to start with like, that ramp up. And then when August came around, the flights and the airlines um, came back online. And then we were able to open the island and the hotel for international travelers. And so ever since then, we've been opened um, up until this point. So, yeah, so we're still open and we're still accepting guests. And um, we are, you know, taking great care in ensuring our associates are kept safe, our guests are kept safe, following the guidelines of Rosewood um, commitment to care, as well as with the local Bermudian government guidelines to ensure that we follow those uh, protocols as well. So everything has been going well for us, um, you know, despite the situation that's still ongoing. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about getting there. Uh, I understand it's about a 90-minute flight from New York City. And you're, and and for those who maybe not know where Bermuda is, you're kind of stuck on your own away from the Caribbean islands and, and then in, in sort of the middle of the Atlantic. Am I correct on that? Yes, you are absolutely correct. We're about, I want to say, 600 miles off the coast of the Carolinas of the U.S. So um, our seasonality is very distinct. Um, It's very much like the um, U.S. seasonality. So unlike the Caribbean, um, what's one thing that people don't realize is that we are not in the Caribbean. We're north of the Caribbean, and we are in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. So our seasonality right now, just similar to the U.S., as I was saying, um, we're in our sort of our shoulder season in the spring, and we're getting ready for peak season, whereas the Caribbean is coming off their peak season and going into the low season. So, um, and, and also the flight air access is very easy to get to Bermuda, from the East Coast, uh, we have really great flights coming out of New York, um, from Boston, from Atlanta, from um, Charlotte, North Carolina, from D.C. So these flights are uh, from New York, for instance, is only 90 minutes. Also for international travelers from Canada and from the U.K. market, we do have some nice flights. Um, Air Canada and WestJet is beginning their flights beginning June of this year. So we're excited to welcome back our Canadian travelers. Mm-hmm. So how many rooms do you have? I'm looking again on your website. It's rosewoodhotels.com. And I uh, just click on you know the Bermuda uh, link to the Rosewood B- Bermuda. But how many rooms do you have? And describe them for me because they look like you got little s- segments. Uh, it's not all one big building, is it? Yeah, that's correct. So we have a total of 91 guest rooms. Um, that includes our two- and three-bedroom residences, which is separate from the main hotel, which is the main hotel hotel guest rooms is called the Manor House. That's where most of the majority of our guest rooms are located. The, harbor, the two- and three-bedroom Harbor Court residences are located in a separate building, but it's in the same area. We also have Harborview rooms and Harborview one- and two-bedroom suites. Those are located right below the Manor House building. So even though they are in the uh, same location overall, it's in distinct uh, separate areas of the hotel. Um, What's a unique feature and a unique selling point for our guest rooms is that they all have ocean views regardless of room type, which is a nice feature, especially when guests 
want to come to Bermuda to look at the ocean because we are in the middle of the Atlantic. And why <laughs> would you want to take advantage of the, the beautiful um, ocean views? Well, for sure. Uh, we only have about 30 seconds. Anything that I've missed you might want to add? No, but um, we're, we're super excited to welcome Canadian travelers to come to Bermuda when flights are back in. Thank you so much for your support and ongoing um, support for Bermuda and the destination. And we look forward to welcoming you all back. Eva Chan is the Director of Sales and Marketing at the Rosewood Bermuda. You can find more information on their website, rosewoodhotels.com. It was uh, fun chatting with you, Eva. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. Take care. So last week, Jasper National Park tweeted out something about reintroducing a notice of restriction when it comes to wildlife viewing practices, meaning that you must stay in your vehicle when viewing wildlife from the road. And that reminded me of an interview we did last August with Steve Michelle. He is a National Human Wildlife Conflict Officer with Parks Canada, and it's about 10 tips for respecting wildlife and staying safe. You can find them on the Parks Canada website, pc.gc.ca. So here's a replay of that conversation and a reminder of those tips now. Well, we're going to review 10 tips to respect wildlife and stay safe. It's on the Parks Canada website. Uh, Just off the top of your head, though, do you have any numbers on how often people come in conflict, and I'm going to use that word, with uh, wildlife uh, over the course of the summer in our parks? Well, it really depends on the uh, on the given park. Obviously, we've got a lot of different sites all across the country from coast to coast to coast, and, and some of them are a lot busier than others. So the places that people might think about the most often, the real busy parks like uh, Banff and Jasper and places like that that are close to uh, cities like Calgary and Edmonton, uh, people come into contact with uh, with wildlife very often. Actually, it's uh, it happens many times a day in in those busier parks. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm not sure if we'll get through all ten of them, but uh, I guess a lot of this, a lot of the tips here are just common sense. But uh, that being said, if you're not familiar with uh, the animal or the surroundings, uh, you don't know what you don't know, and that kind of leads into our our first tip, doesn't it? Learn about the wildlife in the park you're visiting. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and, and that's something that people can do ahead of time. It's sort of what we call our, our pre-trip uh, preparation, and we've got lots of great information on our website. Uh, all the all the parks have uh, information on the particular species that are there, so people can go in ahead of time and you know take five minutes and just uh, learn a little bit about the the actual species that they're going to bump into at whatever park they're headed to. Now, do people get sort of the wrong impression of uh, animals? You know, like I'm looking at bears, for example. People think they're ba- they're cute, and you see them in zoos. When you actually see them in their environment, they're dangerous uh, and stay away, right? Absolutely. And, and, you know, that's one of the key messages we always really want to get out to our visitors is that these are wild animals and, and you need to do your part to uh, help keep wildlife wild. Uh, and, and it's really, it all comes down to, uh, to giving them the respect that they deserve and the, the space that they deserve. These are wild animals and, and sometimes they can be dangerous if you just get too close to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and that's good that you, uh, in the title, it says respect wildlife. And I, I'm glad you said that because we have to respect them. We are in their environment, right? Uh, that leads us to the uh, the uh, second tip on here. Feeding wildlife is never allowed and people like to do that, even with a, you know, a chipmunk or something <laughs> like that, right? 
Yeah, unfortunately, it happens just far too often, and, and people think it's it's kind of innocent with a, a little chipmunk or a squirrel or a bird or something in a busy parking lot. Um, but the reality is that those animals just continue to, to panhandle for human food, and, and ultimately they don't really survive if they if they lose their ability to forage naturally. And of course, it can become very very dangerous when we're starting to talk about uh, the bigger, more dangerous animals. And, and you mentioned bears earlier as a good example, uh, but you know, wolves, coyotes, all these animals can become what we call food conditioned if they get a hold of human food or garbage and then Mm -hmm. they actively seek it out and that is a really really dangerous situation so it's very important that people never uh, directly feed wildlife but the other thing that we're seeing these days that's a concern particularly with COVID uh, is there's a lot more garbage showing up around places people feel I guess a little reluctant to put their hands on a garbage can and um, you know, maybe get contaminated or, or something like that. And so they leave garbage lying around. And we really want to stress that it's very important that that garbage gets into a secure wildlife-proof container. Mm-hmm, for sure. Uh, tip number three, like a lot of people like to take their dogs with them, uh, keep them on a leash, right? Or would you even say, like, can you leave your dog at home? What's your your take on that? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm I'm a lifelong dog owner and a dog lover and and, uh, I I appreciate how important it is that people have their pets with them and they just need to understand that if they are going to bring their animal to a national park it's the law that it must be on the leash all the time Um, but you know we do encourage people that it it, it might be better to just you know leave that dog at home uh, for the day leave it with your friends leave it with your family because it, it might not be the most appropriate uh place to take your take your dog but if you do decide to bring it it definitely needs to be on a leash uh, lots of people are out hiking these days. Uh, timing is everything. Now, I suppose if you want to see wildlife, then you're going to go, uh, as it mentions in your on your website here, uh, earlier in the morning or later in the evening. But that's the flip side. If you want to see wildlife, be careful. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you want to go out for a drive and, and safely see some wildlife from your car and, and stay inside your vehicle and, and get a few pictures as if you're, you know, parked safely on the side of the road, that's great. You know, the early morning hours and the later evening hours are a good time to do that. But remember, if you're out hiking, that's when the wildlife is going to be most active and you're more likely to have an encounter. So those dawn and dusk periods are, are definitely the most concerning for having a potential encounter with wildlife. And I think uh, a lot of people go in those hours too because it's less crowded, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no question it's it's a fantastic time to be out. It's it's my favorite time early in the morning. Uh, but we just encourage people to be very, very aware if, if that's the time that they choose to travel. And you mentioned this uh, briefly too, only stop if it's safe to do so. Uh, we see this all the time, uh, a bear on the side of the road and suddenly there's cars parked everywhere. And if you're not watching, it can cause a huge collision, not only uh, an encounter with the wildlife, right? Oh yeah, it's uh, it's what we call a, a wildlife jam and it can be quite a chaotic scene. And, and we understand that when people see a you know, a bear or some spectacular animal inside the road, they want to stop and get that once in a lifetime picture. But you've got to stop in a place, a safe place. Uh, you've got to pull over onto the shoulder of the road. 
Um, you can't be blocking traffic. It's it's dangerous for yourself. It's dangerous for everybody else on the road, and it's dangerous for the wildlife that might be trying to cross the highway. So only uh, only stop in a safe place, and if it's just too crowded, just keep on driving. Mm-hmm. Well, then it seems to me whenever there's an encounter with a human versus animal, the animal always loses out, like whether it's, you know, they're in a campsite looking for garbage or... You know, they have an encounter and suddenly someone gets hurt. Uh, the animal loses out, don't, don't they? Yeah, that's the unfortunate thing that does tend to happen. And, and uh, you know, it comes back to what I was saying earlier about, uh, you know, food condition animals as an example. If, if, if they do get that taste of human food, it's very difficult to reverse that behavior. And unfortunately, that animal always ends up losing. So, again, it's all about making sure that you give that animal some safe space and, and show it the respect it deserves to help keep it wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, like I said, a lot of this is just common sense, like keeping a safe distance from wildlife. What is a safe distance? Well, that kind of depends on what the species is. So as a as sort of a blanket statement, we always say 30 meters away from any large uh, animal. But if we're talking about the, the carnivores, things like bears or wolves, coyotes and cougars, we, we recommend that people be 100 meters away. Um, but what we're noticing is a real trend these days that is a little bit disturbing. And it's not just us, but it's it's all around the world is this this selfie craze mm-hmm. that people have. And everybody wants to get that perfect picture to put on on Instagram or whatever it is, and you know, a selfie of themselves with the wildlife in the background. And and they really lose all perspective as to how to, you know, keep a safe distance. And so we're, we're always encouraging people that, you know, just kind of pause on the selfies and, and make sure that you're, uh, you're keeping safe first. Uh, a couple of the, a couple more tips here. Stay alert and be aware of your surroundings. Kind of goes hand in hand with number 10, stay on the designated trails and respect all signs. Uh, you know, so be aware of all those things, right? Yeah, absolutely. And again, this is sort of a, a common sense one. And, and, you know, the fancy term I like to use for this is uh, situational awareness. And that's, you know, it, it goes with with everything that we do in life. Just be aware of what's going on uh, around you. But particularly if you're out hiking that trail and, you know, you might be hiking through the middle of a berry patch and you see bear poop all around you, something like that. Well, that's a real good indication that there's probably some bears nearby. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, just just keep alert. And, and unfortunately, we see people who, uh, again, in today's times, they've got their earbuds in, they're listening to their music as they're walking along the trail. Well, you may as well wear a blindfold as well if you're doing that because you're just robbing yourself of your senses. So the, the more you can stay alert and, and, and be aware, the, the safer that you'll be. And that's that's good for yourself and mm-hmm. it's good for the wildlife. Mm-hmm. Have we seen an uptake? Uh, you know, there was, were reports of, uh, you know, animal sightings earlier on because we weren't out in the uh, parks and then the parks opened up. Uh, so I, I guess the animals kind of got used to not having humans around, right? <laughs> Yeah, it, it just goes to show how adaptable wildlife is. And as, as soon as we uh, uh, we kind of retreat a little bit and give them a little bit more space and there's less people in places, they, they get in there and, and, and use these locations. And we we're seeing examples of that all across the globe in the early stages of the, the pandemic. But now, uh, certainly in our national parks, we're, we're back to what I would describe as fairly normal visitation levels. The uh, the user groups are, are different. It's mostly Canadians, of course, that are here, not international visitors. But there's lots of people in the parks and, and, and wildlife have, um, you know, gone back to their more typical patterns that we would see. Mm-hmm. It's 10 tips to respect wildlife and stay safe. You can find on the Parks Canada website, pc.gc.ca. And Steve Michelle is the National Human Wildlife Conflict Officer for Parks Canada. Appreciate your input, Steve. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. 
And that is this week's Informed Traveler podcast. Remember, this is the podcast version of the Informed Traveler radio show heard each week on Chorus Radio. You can find more information on the show at our website at theinformedtraveler.ca. So thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, let us know. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. And if you want to drop me a line, my email is randy at theinformedtraveler.ca. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler. Or you can follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.com.